All right, Stephen Tigg, welcome to the podcast, mate. How are you? I'm very well, Brett. How are you? I'm good, mate. I'm good. Where are you coming from? Uh, at the minute, I'm coming from uh, sunny Stirling in the heart of Scotland, which for people that don't know is in, uh, is in Great Britain. Sunny Scotland. I don't, not many people put it that way, but uh, yeah, we'll call it we'll call it sunny <laughs> today. For sure. it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a rarity, eh? So it's good. Good day. I'm glad you said Great Britain because I want to get something off my chest. I want to I want to figure this out, okay? Because I'm as confused as anybody, okay? You're from Scotland, which is its own country, is it not? Yeah, it is yeah. So why do you? then represent great britain at the olympic games like at the commonwealth games you 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 compete england ireland scotland wales separately but then at the olympics you're together correct uh, yeah and to be fair it's probably a question that's above my jurisdiction and i, I don't really know the answer um but yeah when we're at any international meet out with the commonwealth games we we represent great britain and northern ireland um as opposed to the four home nations and it, I guess if you just think about it as it's effectively it's like separate states mm. but then they come together as one so instead of having 50 odd like you do in the in the us or, or even over in australia with the different states and there's the the main part which is uh, the united kingdom um and we compete together as that at the at the major international meets I can understand that for sure, but you're you're also a proud Scot. I mean, you're you're proud of your own nation. So, isn't there like is there some sort of feelings when you guys get together? Yeah, I mean, I'm 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 very much a proud Scot, but I'm also really proud to be part of Great Britain. Um, you know, and it gives you a lot of pride when you compete at the Olympic Games as part of the the British team. There's a long history and heritage there, and when we go to the Commonwealth Games, obviously we can compete as Scotland, and that's quite unique once every four years. So you almost get the best of both worlds. Yeah. Well, tell us a little bit about you, mate. Um, I'm going to switch back and forward between those views, by the way. I forgot to mention that. Um, I like to see <laughs> I you thought I'd lost. I thought I'd lost you. <laughs> no, I, think, I, I always forget to tell people and they're like, shit, what, did, what happened? Uh, but I'm still there. I'm, I'm listening. But uh, I like to see you up close. But um, yeah, just tell us about you, mate. Tell, uh, you know, a little bit about your background. I mean, we're over in the States. So we kind of hear about all the American coaches. We don't get enough chance to really get to know the foreign coaches so um give us a little bit about you mate yeah so i mean i'm based at a, a university which i guess is, is fairly similar to a college without the uh the same sort of structure and, and setup so i've coached i'd still consider myself to be pretty novice and quite young i've been coaching now for 15 to 16 years um and started like anybody just as a volunteer um at a local club and and very slowly uh, worked my way through um, the club system and then into the, the university or college system, as you like uh, to call it, um, and through the, the national pathway as well, with the national teams, both in Scotland and in Great Britain. So I've been based at Stirling now for seven years, since mm -hmm. just after the Commonwealth Games in 2014, uh, I started here. So. It's been it's been quite a while now, um, and before that, I was just in age group uh, development programs, uh, working with the younger kids, and then I transitioned through and got the opportunity to work with senior athletes, um, and, and it's one that I just wanted to take. So um, I've been really fortunate, uh, and still consider myself to be really fortunate, and you know the position that I'm in, and, and I really enjoy it. Well, you did brush over a couple of points. You're one of the best coaches in the world. You, you coach some of the best athletes in the world. You're also just recently, you were the, the head coach of um, 
the London Raw, the ISL. So um, you're doing fantastic things in the in the world of high performance as well. But uh, did you swim yourself? I did. Yeah, I wasn't very good, uh, uh, and I actually swam here in Stirling, uh, and I was coached by um, an American coach at one point, Chris Martin, mm. who was based over in Florida, uh, and he was head of our institute for a few years. Um, so I've I've always been based in Stirling, and I'm fortunate enough now to to be able to do a job that I really enjoy with, with some really world-class athletes um, at home. Um, so it's great. So what's the association with the university there? How, do, how does it work for you? Um, it's a partnership um, between the, the governing bodies, uh, both British swimming, Scottish swimming and the university. Um, and they just combine resources effectively to permit us to be able to run a performance program because, you know, as we all know, they're, they're very costly. So, mm. you know, we've got really strong links. We've got excellent facilities and resources that are supplied by the university themselves. And then a lot of the funding comes from both British swimming and Scottish swimming through the, the UK sport network here in the, in the Great Britain. So the athletes that are within your realm under your program, they don't actually have to be studying at the university, do they? Nah, um, say it's about 50-50. Um, some of them do study uh, part-time. Um, others will be full-time athletes. The majority of them maybe come in as students, and uh, once they graduate, they'll they'll just stop studying, and at that point, they'll just become full time. So, there are some perks to to being a student as well, um, particularly for some of the the ones that aren't as established, and they can get some funding, some access to service provision that maybe isn't provided through the governing bodies because they're not eligible. So, we have a lot of different uh, plates that we we try and spin at the same time. So how, how do they survive then? Like an athlete wants to come and swim with you in your program. How do they, how do they, where do they live? How do they get food? You know, how do they pay for traveling costs? All that sort of stuff. Yeah, they, they can get scholarships uh, from the university um, and from us. And a lot of the athletes that come are on what we call APA support from the governing body. So they will pick up money um, through different levels of support provided by either British swimming or Scottish swimming. Um, and then they just use that. And also, you know, as they get a little bit uh, further up the chain, they get prize money that they can rely on or sponsorship. So some of the athletes that are maybe not as established and, and are in some of the, the development squads, um, they, like anybody else, they rely on maybe a little bit of part-time work and their parents to, to help them. Uh, but that's where we try and put a little bit of support around them, um, just either financially or otherwise, to make sure that they can still get a you know a really positive experience. Mate, I was lucky enough to sit and have a, a beer or two with you over in Eindhoven at the uh, ISL final, and um, we, we were chatting. and And you said you uh, you'd mentioned that you had um, been co coaching Duncan Scott since he was a, a kid. Uh, how, how long has that been going on for? Um. I think I think I started coaching Duncan in two thousand and five. Uh, so sixteen, coming on sixteen years, I would say. Um, wow. You know, and that that was just by chance as well. I'd started volunteering at a local club, and I think on my second week, uh, there was some kids getting a trial. Um, Duncan and his sister were were two of them, um, and that's kind of where it where that journey started. So, wow, that's crazy. He, he only looks like he's sixteen now, so it looks like you've been coaching him since birth. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry, Duncan, I'm only kidding, mate. 
Now, I've got to be honest with you. Like, I always get them confused, all right? Here's, here's the three guys I get confused. Now, I'll explain why, okay? Duncan Scott, James Guy, and Tom Dean, all right? I yeah. always get them confused. You know why I get them confused? Suppose that. Because they've, they've got two first names, Duncan and Scott, <laughs> James and Guy, and Tom and Dean. How am I supposed to get these guys figured out when they've got two first names? Yeah, you can switch them around the other way as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You mix them up. <laughs> now they're all good guys, but um, that's a good yeah. group, hey. You got you got a real good group in Great Britain right now. Good good bunch of guys going. Yeah, it's, it's excellent, and and you know that that competition really you know just produces that bottleneck. And after our trials, we were really really excited about the the two hundred freestyle and, and particularly the four by two going into the games. And you know you never ever want to underestimate anyone, and we knew it would be really difficult. Um, you know, and Joe Fink, who's, who's gone back to Australia, mm. led the 4x2 for, for Great Britain for a lot of years. Um, and I've been fortunate to have, you know, other athletes apart from Duncan uh, go on that journey too. Um, I mean, we had a, a you know, a, a boy, uh, Cameron Curl, who went 146.6 that, you know, didn't get on our Olympic team for the 4x2. So, mm. you know, we, we knew that we had a lot of depth um, and they really, they, they, you know, they've got a, a lot of humility about them. Those boys are really humble and you know, they always want to improve and they always listen. Um, and they're really good friends as well, which maybe helps. I, I couldn't be sure. But, you know, they get on really well together. I'm sure when they're eyeballing one another going down the, the back 50, they, you know, they're, a bit, they're pretty competitive. But, yeah, it's a good yeah, group. And it seems like they've figured it out, especially to win that gold in Tokyo in the 4 by 2 It seems like they'd come together way before that, you know, and, and yeah. said, to the, said to each other as a group, like we're we're gonna win this thing. We're aiming for this thing. Is that is that something collectively as a coaching staff you guys had come together as well? Yeah, I think um, you know we a big change after uh, London um, with Chris Spice coming in and Bill Furness and you know they really raised the standard. Our teams got a lot smaller on the international stage. Um, in order to get on the team, you had to be uh, a lot faster. Um, you know, and it really drove up the standard. And to be honest. Having somebody like Adam in the team, uh, who's so dominant and mm. his presence really brings out a confidence in everybody else when we're in the arena, um, helps. And you know, I know that so the athletes I work with, you know, will not try and simulate them, but you know, we'll look at some of his strengths and and see where that can fit into their own type of character, uh, particularly with that confidence and and belief. And you know, if you're on the British team now. You know, there's always a chance that you could, as a minimum, make a final at an international meet. Um, and if all things go well, there's, you know, the opportunity there to win medals. Yeah, it's an, it's an interesting concept, actually. I love the way that PD has figured out his competitiveness and um, the way he implements it into, um, you know, his racing mentality. That can sometimes come off as kind of a little bit bullish, a, a little bit um, domineering, but it doesn't seem to be the case with him and the guys around him. The guys around him, like you said, and have kind of feeding off him and, and, and working off that kind of platform. It seems to like spread out throughout the British team. So can you, can you maybe give us a little bit more detail on that, how that has kind of transcended through the team? Yeah, I mean, we've uh, we worked with... British women brought in some, you know, really good sports psychologists, one in particular uh, called Bill Bessick, mm. um, who's very, very experienced. And I think 
has worked a lot with Clemson University over in the States. He worked with Manchester United here in the UK. Uh, and they worked a lot, a lot on, you know, arena skills and what sort of mindset would be required to ensure that you can deliver your best performance when it matters um, in the final at the Olympic Games. Um, you know, and all the athletes and all the staff were involved in that. So there was very clear direction on, you know, this is how we should operate when we're in the arena. Um, and a lot of that's to do with just, you know, believing in your own ability, knowing, knowing what your specific skill set is individually and maximising it and knowing what your weaknesses are and, and being open to understanding them and knowing how to fix them on a given day. Um, you know, and how you present yourself each day, regardless of how you're feeling, is, is really important. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and there's, there has to be a fearlessness and an excitement around when you go into that type of environment. You know, and you need to always think, you know, remember where you're from, be proud of where you're from and, and know that you belong there. And that was one of the, the biggest things is that, you know, there's a real energy and excitement around getting into the competition and starting to race. Looking to host your first swim meet or replacing an old timing system? Run a swim meet with ease from your laptop using superior swim timing. You can use superior swim timing with your existing equipment or they can provide you with a complete timing solution, including deck harnesses, buttons, and starter. SST is fully compatible with Hi-Tech and Team Unify, as well as Colorado, Dactronics, and Amiga touchpads. Go to superiorswimtiming.com to learn more and be sure to tell them I sent you. How, how, how have you noticed that a guy like Adam or, or a guy like Duncan these guys that are at the top level now, high level performers, how do they deal with setbacks? How do they deal with bad days, rough days? I mean, in terms of being able to, you know, help younger athletes out there, how do the best in the world deal with those situations? Yeah, I mean, I, I can't speak so much about Adam because I tend to only, you know, see Adam around in the, the competition. But I always think Dun Duncan was a, a tennis player. Uh, when he was younger as well and he was a pretty good level tennis player and I always felt that in tennis you, you lose a point or you lose a set you have to forget about it quickly and move on and we always spoke about that with him in a swimming sense you know and if you have one performance that that disappoints you um, you know you have to you have to be resilient and you're not disappointed it just means that you can be disappointed rationalize it and move on quickly and we've always worked pretty hard on that so you know Duncan will do a, a lot of racing at competition um, at times we'll put in challenges that we might think he's going to fail on but just to test the ability to to deal with that disappointment and move on and you know I thought particularly when we got to the Olympics he did that well uh, because there was an element of disappointment understandably around the 200 freestyle but there was still more medal opportunities coming up and mm -hmm. what was important was to use it as a little bit of fuel. And one thing we always speak about is that if you if you do multi-eventing, the important thing is to judge a meet at the very end of it. You know, once everything is said and done rather than after the first swim. Right. You know, because because anything can happen. And as you go through six, seven, eight, nine days of competition, you know, sometimes you do get better, sometimes you hold a good level, sometimes you might just have a performance that doesn't make sense. Um, but if you can evaluate it when all is said and done, then, you know, you're not going to let any of those emotions affect you when you go through the meet. And it's just about, 
keeping the wave as, as flat as possible. If you have a great swim, you got another one coming up. So, you know, it doesn't really matter. If you have a bad swim, you got another one coming up again. So it doesn't matter. It's what you, it's how you turn it around and how you maximize the next one. That's, that's a good example. Is that the way you kind of um, addressed it in Tokyo, the 200 free? He, he went in as kind of the favorite, lost by just a couple of hundreds of a second. But obviously, happy with the silver, disappointed, not winning the gold maybe, but but you got to move on. you got other races, bigger things coming. So how did you particularly just address that moment in time? Yeah, well, we had, a, we had a clear conversation beforehand that, you know, if you do a best time in the final and you get beat, then, you know, there's not a lot you can really do about it at times. Um, and interestingly, when we went to the Commonwealth Games in 2018, the 200 freestyle was the first event. And I think Duncan came third, and it was a, it was a pretty poor swim um, by his standards and a good bit off his best. And he then went on and had a really, really good meet. He won the 100 free, he medaled in the 200 IM, he medaled in the 200 fly. Um, and we got some relay medals. And, you know, I just remember after the race, just referencing that we'd been here before, that with the same event, you know, we'd been here at the Commonwealth Games, the 200 free didn't go as planned, but you still went on and had a great meet. There's a lot more opportunities coming up and there's a lot more opportunities actually for Olympic gold medals coming up. So, um, you know, it, it's not an easy one, uh, but there were live examples and things that we could uh, recall and bring up of explicit examples of where this has happened and you'd still performed really, really well. Yeah, that's that's good learning there. Uh, a little bit more learning here. You've been with him 16 years. He's been with you 16 years. So in terms of maybe just analyzing from the coaching perspective, um, what can people learn from you in terms of the evolution you've had to make with him as a coach, first of all? Yeah, I think, well, it's a funny one because when I started coaching him, I had just started coaching. So I was probably, uh, you know, that at that point of not really knowing what I was doing and, and not being aware that I didn't know what I, what I was doing. And maybe that naivety, at that point worked out really well um, for both of us. But but certainly over time, you know, it goes from quite a directive coaching style to a little bit more of a non-directive coaching style. And, um, you know, somebody explained it to me that now at this point in, uh, in, in Duncan's uh, journey, it's more of a, what they call co-creation with regards to the direction and what we do on a day-to-day -day basis. And, you know, it was about, you know, Duncan went away uh, to private school and he was a boarder. So for about five, six years, he he, he had another coach as well called Elaine. Mm. And he had quite limited pool time when he was there. So he didn't train a lot, uh, but he was still very competitive um, compared to a lot of the guys who at that age were doing a lot more volume and a lot more meters than him. You know, we learned a lot at that point that, you know, for me anyway, that coaching isn't always about directly delivering training sessions. That there's a lot more to it than that that mm -hmm. you can work in the background and pull in other people um you know we've always never really been afraid to to explore different things to try new things um to bring different people in to to, to admit when you don't know something and go and ask or send the athlete in the direction of someone else um because to me that that is really what coaching is about and you know i think now you know i can sit and have really good conversations with duncan and not just him, some of the other athletes in the program. And, you know, we actually, they, they come up with really good ideas um, about how they can change things going forward and what we could work on. And, 
you know, sometimes you challenge it back and you say, I think that's wrong and I don't, I don't think that's the right thing to do. But, um, you know, it certainly allows for that longevity, I think, which which can be a real strength. Um, you know, and I know the Mel and Adam are the same, um, you know, and you can always mm. refer back to points in time where, you know, we've got stories about, do you remember when you were eight years old and this happened? Or do you remember when you were 12 mm. and this happened? Mm. So, you know, there's always good reference points and people that they build relationships with over time, other coaches, practitioners, athletes. What what about in terms of the, the mentorship for you, uh, the progression? Like you said, you didn't know much in the beginning to now you're one of the, the best in the world. So in terms of mentorship, people that you've leaned on, people you've learned from um, in the coaching realm, who have they been for you? Yeah, I had a lot of, when I first started coaching, you know, people that are, are probably totally unknown in the swimming world now. But when I started coaching at the at the local club, there was a coach there called Andrew Buchanan, who was a maths teacher. Uh, and the first book he gave me was um, The Science of Winning by Jan Albrecht. Mm. And we, we chatted a lot about, you know, how much is too much and how effective can periodization be? Um, and now I work really closely with Jan um, here at Stirling and from a physiology point of view it's great to have somebody with that level of expertise but I, I always just sought out other coaches and, and like to learn and when I started coaching I think I would get 150 pounds a month uh, and I would just buy swimming books with it <laughs> um, you know and I'll just try and learn a little bit more and read up and you know look at what coaches were doing there wasn't really podcasts back then uh, to be honest so there was some swimming videos well, online some now mate there are plenty now <laughs> um you know so so actually learning was a little bit more challenging mm. so I, I would just go go out and about and you know i i would follow other coaches you know obviously yako verharan out in um mm. in holland and his relationship with peter and the way they went about things and you know when i started michael phelps was the main man mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. so a, a lot of the technical modeling that i did as a young coach was all based around you know, just observing what he was doing and how Bob Bowman might go about things. And they were the real influences at the time. Um, and for a period here in Stirling, Doug Frost was one of the coaches. Right. As Ian Thorpe's old coach. Mm. Um, you know, and he, he was a bit different to, to me in terms of personality, but, you know, he would, he would always take time to, to speak to you and give you some ideas. And it really opened your eyes to what, the, what it really or could take to be one of the best. Right, you know, there's right. lots of different routes to doing it. And, you know, that's always what I wanted to kind of see. And even now, that's where the ISL is excellent. Mm. You get to meet so many different coaches and athletes um, from all across the world. And it really brings the swimming community together um, mm-hmm. in person, which is, is great. You know, you can build relationships with people that ordinarily you wouldn't get to, to spend time with um, in yeah. your own country. So, you know, I really enjoy that element. and. You just feel that you're always learning about what you're trying to do and and yourself to be fair yeah i love the iso for that aspect too man i was only there like uh three or four days and it just seems like everyone has their guard down everybody's open everybody's willing to kind of go out and chat with each other it's it's much more relaxed seems to be there's not so much this nation versus nation type mentality it's more team versus team which is good still still there but everybody's um super open and had some great conversations just in the few days that I was there. So I'd imagine after three or four weeks of hanging out with all these different coaches and athletes around the world, you learn a ton, right? Yeah, absolutely. And even just watching the athletes from the different mm. federations on your team, 
you know, yeah. and seeing how they how they go about their business and what their mentality is like, and yeah. you know, how, technical things around how they warm up, what the pre-pulls like, how they manage themselves around the arena. You know, it's really good. And then the athletes are always really open as well. Yeah. You know, you have great conversations about why they do certain things. So, yeah, absolutely. Destro swim towers gain strength in the water with a tower of power. Save one hundred and fifty dollars for a double swim tower by using code Brett B R E T T at checkout. Destromachines.com. Um, mate, here, here's the thing that we've got to figure out. All right, the world record in the two hundred free is one forty two zero. First of all, is that even attainable? Should we be looking at that world record as as something we can we can break in the future? Uh, is are, are we are we there? Um, do we have the the manpower? Do we have the knowledge? Um, what's your thoughts on this world record? And and do you have a plan to to get it? Yeah, good question. Yeah. I mean, it, it's it's a it's an incredible world record. Um, but then you know, there's other world records I think in the past that have been broken, arguably to the same extent. If you look at fifty six point eight on the hundred breaststroke. Um, and even if you look at 426 on the 400 IM for, for women, and, you know, records are always there to be broken. Um, have we figured it out yet? Maybe not. I, I'm a big believer in, in you know, my philosophy on coaching is that speed is, is paramount. It's one of the most important aspects, regardless of what distance you swim. Um, and I think that, you know, if you're a 47 low 100 freestyler, there is a chance you could get down to 140, 142. 141 you know remains to be to be seen but you know i do think it is possible to get down into the 142 marks i think that you know the standard of the 200 freestyle at the olympics in terms of depth compared to the world championships two years before was just astronomical um and there was even a nervousness when you were watching the heats thinking it might take 145 high to get through here Mm. You know, and then you get to the semi-final and you think it might take 145 low to make it back. Um, you know, and, and that's talking three seconds off that world record. Um, you know, for me personally, I think you know the best swim is, is 143.1 um in the in the textile or the normal suit, and uh, probably Phelps from 2007. Yeah. Um, you know, and that would be the first target. Yeah, for sure. To get back down into those sort of sort of ranges. And it you know, it's going to take somebody going out in 49 point and, and being able to make it comfortable enough. Well, mate, I guess you're going to need an athlete that's got speed and endurance. I don't know. Do you know anyone like that? <laughs> there's, a, there's, there's a few to be fair now. You got one yourself, mate. Come on. Like, you got you got yeah. the guy to do it. So so uh, there's got to be a game plan here. Like, what what are we doing? Like, uh, give, let us in on some of this. Like, I want to figure out this, this 143 flat, first of all. Um, what are some of the things you're doing in practice that give you hope? Uh, can you give us any particular set that Duncan may have done in the in the past twelve months or so that kind of gives you some hope? Yeah, I mean, we we're we're fairly polarized in our approach to training, so we we spend quite a lot of time at lower intensity and fairly extensively just working on uh, technical skill or pure speed. Um, and as we get a little bit closer to the competition, that's when we start working on our, our preparation. And, you know, we have specific sets that, that we've tried or we do try in, in those phases. And, you know, like I said, we always start from a speed base and, uh, and try and develop the speed into endurance. 
So one one example, we did a what we call an anaerobic power set, um, and it might have been the preparation leading into the trials in April, mm. and we went two fifties. No, we did it the other way around. We went six fifties with ten seconds rest at two hundred race pace. He had to try and go twenty six five. We did a little bit of a swim down. We went four fifties at one hundred meter back end pace. So they had to be around about twenty four flat mm. uh, with with thirty seconds rest. Jeez. A little bit more swim down, and then we did two fifties from a dive as fast as you can with no air uh, on four minutes, um, and that was that was pretty challenging. And you know we found that actually some of the elements of that were a little bit a little bit too hard at that point, but it, it didn't bother us. Um, mm. You know he, he was still really quick, but when we got to the preparation for the Olympics, uh, we made it a little bit shorter. So we went one fifty dive with no air. And it was feet leaving long course. I think Duncan went 21-3. Um, then we went 250s from a push, rest 30. And he was 23-3, then 23-6. And then we went 450s, rest 10. And they were all around about the 25 high mark. So I quite like to make the, the race pace work very dense. So for me, you know, if you want to be able to hold an intensity through a race, then you have to be able to do it in training without too much rest so you mm. can either do short fractions of very little rest or increase the, the length of the repeats so one set we we do we do use but not always because there is a psychological element to doing the same set over and over and it not being great um is two 100s one is dive to feet uh, you take 10 seconds rest and then you go push the touch um and normally we'll do that seven days out and it gives us quite a good idea of what sort of time to expect when we get to the to the meet? Um, what's he you know, been, we, What's his best at that? His uh, best in the front end, feet leaving is, is forty nine, and on the back end, fifty one high, fifty two mm. low. Um, so we use that just to to really just get used to the the pain tolerance on the set. And sometimes what we do is we then add on another fifty right after it, just to really hurt. Mm. Um, or we'll ask him to do the first hundred but overcommit and go out too fast and then just get used to holding on just in case in a race something happens and you know you unintentionally overcommit or you're a little bit too rested so there's a lot of speed there and you just learn how to physically and psychologically deal with that uh you know the, the high levels of lactate so from that we we, we stole one from a uh, yako because uh, I heard it on, I think it might have been your podcast, mm. if I'm honest. And it was uh, two sets of three 100s on two minutes at 100 back-end pace. Um, we did it before trials. And the key to it was making sure that each 100 was constructed well. So it wasn't 24-5, 27-0. It was 26-0, 26-0. Right. Mm. And I think he averaged about 52 flat um, long course on that with a suit on. Um and we did it again before trials, but the key is that you know the first one's got to be controlled for mm. for us anyway, and you try and replicate your third fifty into your back fifty. But by the time you get to the third one, that's really really challenging. You know, wow. so good stuff, man. I appreciate you sharing that. I I, I purposely just shut up, just to let you talk, because I want to go back and kind of re write some of this stuff out. But in my mind, I'm doing some math here. I'm like, there's not many people in the world that could. That could do this i mean I'm, I'm thinking one two maybe three people in the world that could pop a set like that on those types of intervals i mean you got a special athlete there mate that that's pretty nice 
I did want to mention this. Is In your mind, is Duncan Scott, is he the best swimmer in the world? I mean, you, you've got Caleb Dressel. Okay, he's, you know, he, he's as good as anybody, uh, if not better than everybody. But um, but your guy, mate, he can, he's, got, he's got speed. He's got range. He's got every stroke. He's, he doesn't have a bad stroke. He's, he's got to be the best swimmer in the world, doesn't he? <laughs> I think he's, he's up there. It's hard to determine who the best is. And, you know, there's, you could argue it a lot of ways, but, you know, he's certainly one of the most rounded um, mm. swimmers in the in the world at the minute. And, you know, he's very capable on other things that you just don't really get the chance to explore. Um, you know, we always knew that he was really good at medley. Um, and it's probably only this year that that came to the fore. But when he was a junior athlete, that was the events. It was 400 IM and it was 200 IM. Um, and then we went to Rio and he went 48-0. So everybody thought he's a mm. sprint, sprint freestyler. Um, and it took us a little while to be able to get the medley events um, back on the cards at an international level uh, because it was a little bit more challenging to qualify. Um, so we always, always worked from a, a medley and a variety base. And, you know, I just think for, for longevity... Uh, and to make training interesting, if you've got the ability to do lots of different exercises, then it's great because it keeps it interesting. Mm. You know, you can use different strokes as a different tool to try and do uh, the same thing at times. So, you know, it certainly makes it, you know, interesting when you're writing sets because we do have other swimmers who, you know, they're very specific and it's maybe just breaststroke or just backstroke. Um, and it can be a little bit more challenging to make uh, the training sets interesting. But, you know, we can use medley sets as a, a really good endurance training tool um, yeah. and fly for the same. You know, usually make Duncan specifically race a 200 fly maybe four weeks out from the meet just to remind them that the 200 free is a lot shorter and gets <laughs> over with quicker. Are you feeling like you're a little stuck in trying to do it all? Uh, you know, it's not a criticism by any means. This this kid's incredible. He can do it all. But do you do you then feel like well, where where can we get our wins? Where can we get our goals? Um, is is it difficult to be so good at everything? Yeah, yeah, and I think you know certainly over the over the years it's been you know trying to identify what is the best event. Um, well, we know that. Been... What's the event that stops the the world at the Olympics? What what is the event? <laughs> 100 free <laughs> 100 free it's 100 free so i mean yeah. he's got he's got the speed he's proven he's what fifth at fifth at the at the rio olympics i mean yeah. is is there not this thought in your head of like why don't we just make him the the world's best 100 freestyle i think long term there, there's a possibility to do that but i still think there's a lot of uh there's a lot of scope to develop on the 200 free and the 200 im plus the relays i think in the 100 free looking at the way it's going in some aspects there's maybe different physicalities that he would require mm. uh, which could be detrimental to the to the longer events um sure. uh, you know and part of the plan is that you know i think if duncan could he would swim through to 2032 um but certainly the next seven years is a bit of a plan as to you know sticking with the the 200 meter events and then maybe looking at the possibility of focusing more in on the 100 free um on the final can he stretch and you know, look at what brent hayden's doing it i think he's 37 38 yeah and it, you know if you if you're willing to look after your body and your mind and do things correctly then you know you can swim until your early 30s and still improve so we've got plenty of time and that's the thing we're looking at is 
you know, this is something about longevity and, you know, going in maybe four or five Olympics. So uh, we still reckon there's a lot of scope in that 200 medley and 203 um, to improve. Yeah, I agree, mate. I agree. But listen, Paris, right? <laughs> Paris. Think of Paris. I mean, you got Just a good-looking kid. You got a good-looking kid. He's the he's the hundred free champion uh, at the Paris Olympics. I mean, he's a multimillionaire after that. Like he he <laughs> just he set set him up for life, mate. Yeah, to be to be fair, it's, it's his decision. So if he comes to me and says that, then that that'll be the the direction we'll probably dis <laughs> discuss. But um, I know he's got his own goals and ambitions and I'm things he wants that, to I'm do. So. Way, but, uh, <laughs> no, look, his two hundred IM is deadly. You could certainly uh you know have a crack at at winning that one in paris for sure so in in terms of the two medley how, how's the training for that what do you what do you do there i'd like to introduce our newest sponsor swim angelfish swim angelfish is an online certification program that strengthens your teaching curriculum to serve swimmers of all abilities swim angelfish will prepare you and your instructors with the skills to teach swimmers with autism physical disabilities, anxiety, sensory and motor conditions, and more. Learn to teach skills faster and with more comfort with Swim Angelfish. Apply for an only alpha pool product scholarship and receive up to 50% off your certification. Go to swimangelfish.com today to apply. Um, I mean, we focus a lot more on speed. Uh, we, it's interesting. We, his breaststroke was always his weakest stroke on the medley. And we spent a little bit of time. We've got, we had Ross Murdoch in the program, right. Craig Benson in the program, brilliant breaststrokers. And we spent a lot of time trying to improve his endurance element of breaststroke and just never really got anywhere. And then we kind of, I can't remember why we came onto it, but we looked more at if we could increase his capacity for speed on breaststroke, would that help the improvement? So from 2018 onwards, we spent a lot of time focusing more on how quick can he be at breaststroke. Mm. Um, and he's pretty fast. And so we work more on tempo. He doesn't have a very good breaststroke leg kick. And I don't think he's ever broken 40 seconds short course meters on that exercise. So we knew that he wasn't a glider, but we knew that he had this um, physical ability to have you know, a, a very high heart rate for a long period of time in which case stroke rate could work really well for him. Um, so we worked more at just looking at his tempo and he worked on just racing 50 meter long course, 50 meter short course, 25s. And we don't do a lot of slow breaststroke, if any at all. Um, and most of his breaststroke work is just done on, on speed. So that, that was one is of that the, the way you broke the, the, all the strokes up, or you just work specifically on the stroke itself at speed, or is there a different approach for the other strokes? Yeah, well, if, if, because flies the first 50, there's not much of an endurance capacity specifically needed. Mm. So again, on fly, it was just, let's just look at how you can be faster. Mm. Backstroke's the one where it's difficult to fit in. So we do a lot of the lower level aerobic work on backstroke for a recovery purpose and just for feel. Mm -hmm. And then we'll probably do a little bit more just upper body stuff, uh, backstroke pool or band only. And then again, looking at the speed element of it. So how fast can you be at your 450s or 4100s? Mm. Um, and the more endurance side comes from, you know, we can always trust that the freestyle, regardless of how tired he is at the 150, um, will be quick. And because you're switching on to a totally different muscle group, you're not as specifically fatigued. Right. So we can always grind out a, sub 28 um uh, sure and that's always a challenge but can can you make the first 100 a lot quicker 
that's the the next challenge. So we might start racing a little bit more on hundred backstroke or. Well, you get, you get the strokes down, you, a little bit of endurance on your back and your free, a little bit more speed on your flying breast. What about the combination? Like you said, switching strokes. You know, you go from one body movement to the next, different muscle groups quickly, yeah. and, and you got to react. Do you do transition work in practice? Yeah, we use, um, we use medley work and specifically for what we term our more aerobic power or aerobic uh, sort of endurance type work. So I'm trying to think. Uh, a few sessions we'll, we'll do some quite meaty medley sets maybe 4.8k mm -hmm. um on switching in some maybe something like 850s fly rest 10 seconds where you have to descend one to four and then a 400 im where the fly is negative split that's always tricky mm -hmm. and maybe 850s backstroke then a 400 im where the backstroke is negative split 850s breaststroke then a 400 medley where the breaststroke is negative split and then 850 is free in, in the same way. Um, you know, so we use those types of exercises to to train that switching between the strokes, but that mainly comes in towards the preparation side and we'll stay off that a little bit uh, when we're in just the the general side and the, the capacity building part. Right. What about in terms of his strength training or even just the group strength training and, and dry land training, uh, your philosophy on that? How do, how do you integrate that in your group? Uh, we're really fortunate. We've got, you know, three different specific S&C coaches that work with the athletes. And it, it, it's different for everyone. When they become a bit younger, we tend to do focus a little bit more on just strength training. So they might have a higher proportion of frequency with the strength work that they do. Um, particularly if they're they're on the bar um, as they get older they might start to do a little bit more just just management of themselves uh, we don't have a lot of injuries touch wood although we've had one since the olympics that wasn't ideal um, and they work quite closely with the physio so physiotherapy and snc are quite interlinked because what we find is that the physiotherapists are are very good at identifying weaknesses that could cause injury so if they load too much on a squat, but they've got a weakness in a certain area, then we maybe have to switch the exercise and make it a little bit more basic. But we try and periodize the strength or we determine which one takes priority. If they're weak and they need to get stronger, then the strength training takes priority over probably the periodization in the pool. If not, then it tends to be the other way around. I mean, you know, I still have a lot of questions on S&C and swimming in particular, really for anything over a 50. and. Um, you know, how strong do you need to be to, to move your body through the water? And if we are doing something in the gym, then it has to relate to a technical improvement in the pool. So you, you would want to see an increase in distance per stroke or the ability to hold your stroke count better and stroke length better through a race. Um, you know, sometimes we don't see that because putting size on a lot of the time can can be detrimental, particularly for some of the longer events. Right, right. So one of, one of the questions I get asked a lot, and this is one that Jan asks me is if you've got a Formula One car with a Formula One engine, why would you put more weight on it? And mm. it's that bit about trying to make sure that if you are going to get stronger, then, you know, it's not just about increasing muscle size. Right. Right. But you've seen, you've seen Caleb Dressel up close. He's, he's pretty, <laughs> pretty jacked, pretty ripped. Yeah. Um, but, and, and seems to manage the muscle well um i get it in, in terms of the longer events you know i'm always thinking sprint so you know i'm thinking a little bit more muscle mass uh, look you, you got a guy that can swim 
really fast. He's got speed and endurance. You know, in my mind, if we were to slap a little bit of strength on him, I mean, he would just be uh, he he'd be he'd be freaky good, uh, just just crazy good. I, I want that world record to go in the hundred free. I'm just like, can can I can I find someone who could just take that thing, please? <laughs> Yeah, I think I think that's one of them that it's, everybody's peppering it and knocking on the door, and eventually, right. you know, they're all going to rush through it, aren't they? So, yeah. you know, I think the, the third fastest time at the Olympics was forty-seven-one. Right. You know, and Kolesnikov. I know he didn't do it in the final, but you know, it was forty-seven-zero, forty-seven-zero, forty-seven-one. It's yeah. it's coming. It's yeah. coming. Yeah, it's coming. You're right. What do you think about these young kids, uh, Popovich, uh, Sun Wu? You know, these 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 young guys. Uh, Seem to have a lot of talent and um, yeah. coming on really well, huh? Yeah, I mean, I, I, massively impressed by by both of them, particularly, you know, at the Olympics. And when I was watching the the two hundred freestyles, it was the race was all over the place. But just at the bottom of my eye in lane one, I could just see Popovici just still there, still mm. there, still there, doing you know, and Kenny doing it all on his own because he was in lane one with with nobody really next to him that was going to take the race out at that side of the pool. So. Um, you know, super talents and, you know, people that I think are going to make those events really, really exciting because you always want a little bit of challenge to the current best to see if it's going to, you know, encourage them or mean that they can improve or if somebody's going to go past them. So very different uh, in terms of their, their physicality as well, those two in particular. Um, but that's what's great about, you know, sport. It's you know, a, a year out, you know, we spoke about Popovici being so competitive in the 100 and 200. Not sure MD would have predicted that where mm. some of the other guys who were competitive with Tom Dean and Kieran Smith, um, you kind of knew they were on the radar and that they could pose a real threat in that event. Um, whereas, you know, that the progression of uh, Popovici was so stark that it was really difficult to predict that one. Yeah. And yeah. I was really excited to see where it goes as well. Yeah, a lot of good talent, man, coming up for a lot of good racing. There's a lot of good racing these days, which is good for you, yeah. I guess. You know, being isolated a little bit more out in Scotland and not maybe having the same access to real good competition like we do in the US. You know, it's just jam-packed over here. But um, do you ever feel that isolation? I guess these days it's a little bit better. you got all these people competing with each other, the FINA and ISL and racing all over the place. But um, have you ever felt that isolation? Um, I mean, we are we can compete in Europe really, really easily and really quickly, and we've always used things like the Mare Nostrum Tour mm. um, as a development tool. But again, sometimes it can be hit and miss. Um, before the Olympics, because we were really locked down, we could only race against the rest of the UK, but everybody had to go. Mm. So the competition level, particularly between the 200 freestyle boys at that point, was excellent. Um, but sometimes you do have to go and seek it out. Um, we've used competitions in the States. The, I don't think it was Pro Series back then, but it might have been actually uh, about 2014, 15. Mm. We've gone out and we've used those. We've sent, as, as, a, as a university, you know, the athletes that don't make the international meet will tend to go and race at the US Open. Again, just because it's probably as competitive as the World Championships at times. Right. Um, so we like to go out and seek it. And, and that's what's been great about the ISL as well, is just that that level of competition is something that's really hard to, to find in season, yeah. um, if at all. So, yeah. you know, you too try and seek it out. And there's lots of different places we can go to to do it. But, but sometimes it's quite powerful to have a competition that's 
not that quite high a standard because then you can really start to play around with tactics, right. techniques, without any real stress of your pride being dented because you're going to get beaten or you're trying something and you think this isn't really not going to work, but it might work. Right. But, you know, right. you can you can do it. You can do it under the radar. Um, so either in a time trial or in a competition setting. So, you know, you just right. got to try and ba balance up the level of competition that we, we seek out. Um, what ended up happening at World Short Course? He, he got sick, didn't he? Well, the the last um, ISL final got a little bit run down just before it, and ideally, we you know probably wouldn't have swam had it not been the ISL final. But right. um, just thought you know it, it's for the team. There's still a chance you can do really well. Just go in and give it your best, and just never really recovered. And then you know was was pretty under the weather by the time it got out to to Abu Dhabi, uh, and just thought right just just come back because there was a bit of COVID floating around and didn't want to get stuck there. So yeah, just knock, yeah. knock the season on the head, but um, which was unfortunate because I think early season, we really thought that could be a real target. Um, but these things happen and, you know, it's not, it was never the priority anyway for the cycle or the season. So. Right. Well, where are you guys now? You in, in, in the cycle in the season, um, you know, where are you right now and, and what's coming up? Uh, so we've got our trials for World Championships, Commonwealth Games and Europeans in April in Sheffield. So we've kind of just started our block into that. So we'll do some testing over the next couple of weeks with uh, with the group and then we'll periodise through to the trials. Um, we've got two swimmers pre-selected for the World Championships, Kathleen Dawson and Duncan. Okay. So they'll, they'll just prepare for the World Championships and then... Right. Commonwealth Games, so it's a, it's a busy year. Um, Are they pre-selected for Com Games? Yeah, pre-selected for, 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 for both. So, for both, okay, great. Yeah, so it means we had a little bit more of a break over Christmas, and COVID was quite bad here. So, mm. you know, we, we weren't not allowed to train, but there was a lot of people contracting it, yeah. meaning that there were close contacts, isolating. Right. So uh, we're kind of just getting out of that now, hopefully, but we still just need to be really careful. So, yeah, we're building towards the trials. Uh, world championships and then Birmingham for for Commonwealth Games and then we'll see what happens we might give some the option if they want to do Europeans and they might have a longer break because I know world championships in 23 I think are in November or something so oh, wow. uh, really? it's going to be a bit of a bit of a funny year so we need to just kind of plan for that a little bit yeah, well, it seems like it's going to be a big year this year. A lot of, a lot of big racing, a um, lot of stuff on the calendar again. ISL's looking at um, expanding again. So there's going to be tons of stuff to aim at, tons of stuff to talk about. Stephen, uh, appreciate your time here, mate. Um, thanks for sharing today. No worries. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, mate. Take care, eh? We'll catch Cheers. up for another beer, by the way. I enjoyed the <laughs> yeah. yeah, hopefully it can go on longer than five o'clock at night. <laughs> <laughs> All right, mate. Take care. Right. See ya. Event, heat, lane, name of swimmer, times and places. It's called Swim Nerd Live, and it allows the data and times from your actual scoreboard to be broadcast and viewed in real time on any smart TV, phone, or other device. There are so many things you can do with this software. A very simple and easy to use necessity for any team or facility that is live streaming their meets results. One click on any device and they're watching your swim meet live in real time. Go to swimpractice.com to learn more.